I was considering what to preach these last couple of weeks after Preacher had notified me and Hunter Sharp that we had the opportunity to preach here again. I took the time to consider what the Lord wanted out of this message and what we as a church really need to hear. <clears throat> While I was considering a, a, a many different passages of Scripture and listening to many different sermons and some different um, preachers on the subjects, I was in the search, I heard this story um, for about Dr. R.C. Sproul with Ligonier um, Church. And the story goes something like this. Dr. R.C. Sproul was once in a discussion to further outreach of his church. He's talking to a certain consultant that Ligonier Church had hired to help develop a vision statement and a long-term strategic plan for its future growth. So the consultant sat down with Dr. R.C. Sproul and he asked him two questions to get inside his mind and to, to understand the pastor's thoughts on this matter. And the consultant asked these two diagnostic questions. Question number one was very simply this. What is the greatest need that people in the world have? And immediately, without hesitation, Dr. Sproul immediately answered, The greatest need that people have in the world is to know who God is. So then the consultant asked them a second diagnostic question. What is the greatest need that the people have in the church? And immediately again, he answered, The greatest need that people have in the church is to know who God is. And the church, I want to tell you today, that we as a people have forgotten who God is. And that we as a people have forgotten who our personal and our church and our God, who He is. And Dr. Sproul was right. The greatest need that people have, whether they are in the church or whether they are outside in the world, is they need to know who God is. And not just as a figment of their imagination, but as the God has chosen to reveal Himself in His Word, to know the God of the Bible. And so that statement and that story led me to this passage of Scripture. And the title of my message today is to know who God is. So let's turn our Bibles and it says chapter 20. But I'm going to go to, we're going to start in chapter 19, verse 18, just to give a little bit of context to this right now. And my hope and my prayer of this message is that we as our church will know who God is. So if we can stand for the reading of God's Word. This is God's inspired, inherent, infallible, holy word. And the word of God says in verse 18 of chapter 19, says, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it with, in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And then the voice of the trumpet sounded long, and waxed louder and louder. And Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. The original translation is like a voice of thunder, a very evident voice. And the Lord God came down upon Mount Sinai and on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said upon to the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mount, Sinai, for thou hast charged us, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up with the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people, and spake unto them. He told them these things. Chapter 20. 
And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which had brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no gods before me, that shalt not make even thee any graven image, or likeness, or anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and the fourth generation to them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within the gates. For in six days the Lord hath made the heaven and the earth, the seventh, the, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, just thank you for the, the, the group of people that has gathered here tonight, Lord. God, thank you for them coming out in the midst of the rain and the, the storm that is above us. But God, just thank you for the, them. Want, they are willing to, to learn your word. God, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word and to, to bring us back to your scripture alone. God, I thank you for everything you've done for us and you've shown to us this church. God, I pray that you show it to us one more time and you show us your great word and your great grace for us, Lord. God, be with this, my speech tonight, Lord. God, be with my stutter. Don't help me to trip and stumble on my words, but just to get it stated clear what the message you have given me. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity once again. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't, but let me say everything I should. And let all this be for your glory and your honor alone, God. And God, we thank you for what you've done for us already and what you're going to do. And all these things that we ask in your Son's holy and righteous name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. As I said in the before, we as a people have forgotten who our God is. And I was thinking about the sermon, and I was pondering on the sermon, and I thought, it's endless places in the Scripture to show us who God is and to show us that God is God. And I thought to myself, it's everywhere. Where am I supposed to go? What, what passage? What scripture? And I chose to go to this passage first to see the law of God because there's one reason and one reason alone. And that is this. You know, well, there's many reasons for the law of God. We see we need a mediator. We can't keep the law. We can't, we can, there's no possible way we can stand before the law and be guiltless. We need someone to take this law and to keep it for us. We need a mediator. We see the law is in is given to show the society what is right and what is wrong. Most of our laws are based upon these laws. Every, everything of righteousness is based on these laws. And what is unrighteous is said that is unrighteous in these laws. But there's one real main reason, and that is the primary purpose of the law of God is to reveal the God of the law. The purpose of the Word of God is to reveal the God of the Word. And so, let's picture this. Let's picture a diamond or a prism of some sort that it's a perfect, it's got perfect cuts. It's a diamond. It has perfect cuts. There's flawless edges of all sides of it. 
And so if you hold a diamond to the noonday sun or a prism to the noonday sun, the brightness of the sun shining in and through the prism of this flawless diamond, and it refracts the various beautiful colors of the rainbow, and they burst forth. They burst forth with light shines from this prism. And so as it is with the law of God that we hold it up before the glory of God, which shines brighter than 10,000 suns. And when, you, when the, law of, the glory of God hits the law of God, it projects beautiful and flawless and various beautiful colors of the attributes of God. And so when we, we look at this and we look at the law and, we, and when we read the law, we learn so much about God and we just pass it off. We, we, just, we don't even comprehend who God is when we read these things. But when we, when we see that the glory of God shines through the law and it reveals to us who God is, it reveals exactly how worthy He is of our worship and our praise and our honor and everything we can give to Him. I just want to focus our gaze on 13 of His attributes that is shown in this law just so we can get an idea of who our God is. And I have them written down in your notes, if you have your notes with you tonight. But just 13, we're going to try to go as fast. Dustin, he came up to me and said, you know, you've got three days of a message right here. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm going to try to get through as much as I can. But th- because it's true. When we hit these attributes and we hit the what God, who God is, there's nothing we can say to truly capture who He is and what He has done for us. When we talk through the Scripture and we, we look through the Scripture, there's nothing we can say that will ever show the true image of God. I was, there was one time I was very discouraged after a, a, a time I had preached. And I was, I was just very depressed. I was very just discouraged. I didn't know really how and why I was. I just knew that there's nothing I could say. And it, it just felt like I said everything wrong. And I heard a sermon and a pastor said, he said that he had the same experience. And he said that he went home and he prayed and he was, you know, God, just give me the opportunity one time. If I, if I may have the opportunity in heaven to stand upon the preacher's box one more time and to show your glory and to be able to preach you truly, then just please give me that. And then he thought later on after the Holy Spirit had guided him that even in glory, even in heaven, we, we see his full glory we will never still be able to comprehend who God is. And so just 13 His attributes today. And I'm going to just kind of step my foot in the door of His attributes today because there's so much more here and there's so much more throughout these scriptures. So number one, the sovereignty of God. God has supreme authority. He has the right to rule and reign our lives. He has the right to authorize these laws. He gives these, he has the authority to give the power in the laws, to know what is right and what is wrong. He is the one that, or the only one that could give this and be true. Amen. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 says, Ah, Lord God, that word Lord is not the word we see it as Lord, but as it's a more translation of, O sovereign Lord, O sovereign God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth and thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. There is nothing that can overcome our God. Verse and number two, we see the holiness of God. He is the one that gave the laws. He knows what is holy and what is unholy. He knows the difference between the two. He's the only one that knows the difference between it. He was the one that authorized what is right and what is wrong. 
And when our culture talks about the Lord, the first thing they do is they try to take this attribute away from Him. The first thing they try to do as the main attribute of God, and they try to instantly change who our God is. They say the first thing, they don't say our God is holy, they say our God is love, right? That's what they say. They say our God is love. Our God is accepting. Our God is a loving God. He is a, um, a forgiving God. Whatever you want to say. This something about God is love. God is love. And you know, that is true. He is that. He, and we'll see this later on. He is a loving God and a gracious God. But why is it that in Scripture, every time the Lord is, is identified, it's never as love. It's always as holy. Because if you have no holiness you have no love. And if you have no love, you have no true holiness. But His holiness is always first. And you, and you say, well, how do you know that? Because in Isaiah 6, verse 3, it says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And you see, He's holy. And I don't know if preachers said this before or someone else has said this, but when we pray and we identify God and we praise God, it, we never call God love, love, love or gracious, 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 or merciful. No, it's always holy, 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 because He is holy. And that is His main attribute. And without God being holy, He is not God. That is what separates Him. That is what identifies Him as His holiness. And we see that He is holy. In uh, Revelation 4, verse 8, it says again, and the four beasts that had each of them and six wings about them, and they were full in the eyes within, and the rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So not even is it his main attribute, but day and night his throne is established by saying, Holy, holy, holy. He's holy. Number three, we see the truth of God. The truth of God. We see that God speaks the truth and shows the truth of himself through these commandments. Later on in Scripture, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he is also the one that knows this is truth, and he commands it. He is the one that requires it. When he gives the law, it is truth. We don't ask why it's truth, because it is truth. It's from him. We know it's truth. Number four, we see the exclusivity of God. That there is one God, and we are to worship no other gods before Him. That's verse 3 of our text. It says, Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. He says that I am the Lord, thy God. We see in this in verse 3, but also in Exodus 15, 11, it says, Who is like thee unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? There it is again. Fearful in praises, doing wonders. Who is like our God? Number five, we see the jealousy of God. God will not tolerate worship given to any other God, lowercase or thing, because there is only one God. He, will not, he cannot stand. He hates when we give glory and honor to anyone besides Himself. He is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24 says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Number six, we see the spirituality of God. There is no material substance to God, and there must be no graven image of God. John 4, 24 says that God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
So as if man cannot make an image to worship God, there's not something that we can look at. That's why when, when Jesus came to the earth, everyone was looking for a, a, a something to look at, something to worship. And when he went away, they were like, but we've seen him face to face. Now how do we worship him? But he's not. He's, a, he is, he's God of spirit. And there's no material substance to God. There's no idol we can make of God because nothing is as great as our God. And we, we won't even be able to, to capture that thought until we see this much of Him in glory. We see the wrath of God. Number seven, He visits the iniquity of the generations. This is the end of verse five. It says, The Lord thy God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. John three thirty six says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Number eight, we see the mercy of God. He shows mercy upon those that love him. This is, no, this is, this is uh, verse six. And showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love them and love me and keep my commandments. You see, to love God is to keep his commandments. It's to love God is to love his law. To love God is to love Him truly. The mercy of God in uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God. He is the faithful God, which keep the covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Number nine, we see the omnipresence of God. That means that He sees all. He is ever-present. He is everywhere present. There's no other gods before his sight because he sees all. He, he, he knows all. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding evil and the good. Number 10, we see the omniscience of God. And these two go right hand in hand. He knows all and he sees all. He sees who keeps his commandments and who breaks them. Psalms uh, 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and great of power, his understanding is infinite. Psalms 44 verse 21 says, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of our hearts. Number 11, we see the omnipotence of God. We, this means that he is all powerful. We see that his name is Elohim, God. We see his name is Elohim, the powerful one, God, the powerful one. We know that our God is a powerful one. Jeremiah 32, verse 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Number 12, we see the wisdom of God. Only God knows how to give these laws and to direct their li- our lives into the correct way. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depth of the riches of both wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How incredible is what Paul is saying. How incredible is his knowledge and his wisdom. There is no God with this wisdom. Number 13, we see, and then lastly, this is the last one, we see the independence of God. God is self-existent. That means that there's no beginning to God. No one created God. No one said, now God, you can be God now. No, this is God Almighty. This is God who He is. He is self-existent. He, there's, there's a never time where He was not existent, and there's not going to be a time where He is not existent. He, is, he is Himself has put Himself into place. He is self-sufficient. That means He lacks nothing. He, needs, uh, he does not need us. He does not need anything. He is 
All he needs is himself. He is self-satisfied. Same thing. He, he does not need anything. He does not lack anything. He does not need to gain anything from anyone. He is himself. He is satisfied in himself. And he's self-sustaining. That means that nothing can sustain our God. He himself has put himself into place. And he does not need anything. He does not need anyone. He sustains himself by being himself. In Exodus 3 and 14 it says, And God said to Moses, I am that I am. In this passage, we see his name is Jehovah. That means what we just read, I am that I am. He puts himself into place. That's an all-powerful God. Psalms 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, and or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So these Ten Commandments are given, and we see who our God truly is. We see the attributes of him revealed through these, these laws that are given. And when we see these things, and we understand these things, we understand who God is, we ask, why these laws, what do these mean? What is, what's next? So when these Ten Commandments are given, here's the scene. The nation of Israel has come to the Mount Sinai. They've came out of their Egyptian bondage of 400 years. They've come to the Mount Sinai en route of the Promised Land. And the people are camped out at the base of the mountain. And Moses ascends to the top of the mountain. And God descends down. And meets with Moses, and there's a thunder and lightning, there's fire, there's smoke, there's power, and there's glory that's revealed. And the people are forbidden to even touch the mountain because this is God's mountain. And this is where God is. In this dramatic moment, God bursts onto the scene, and God issues these Ten Commandments. And so the question on the table today is, what do we learn about God here? And so I want to give you three truths away from the attributes of God that show who our God is. Number one, we see God is the God that speaks. And this is his verse one. The first thing it says is God spake all these words, saying, The true God of heaven and earth is the God who speaks. And that's what separates him. That's what sets him apart from all the other fake gods and all the other dumb idols and all the other lowercase gods because he is a God that speaks. He is a God that issues. He is the God that... He, he says all the other dumb idols, they're, they're pieces of wood. They are metal. But our God, a talking God, a hearing God, a, a, a God that puts into action what He speaks. The same God that said, let there be light. That's our God. He spoke that. And these words, when He speaks, they are not something to take lightly. They, are, they were not taken lightly, taken lightly because they wrote a whole book about what He spoke. They took into every consideration of what he spoke. Uh, let's look at Isaiah 46, verse 9. I think it's in your notes. And it says, remember the former things of old. This is God. God is the speaker here. It says, remember the former things of old. Saying, remember this. This is important. Remember this. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. So what sets apart God? And we'll see this next. What is, what is the difference? What is, there's none like me, so what's the difference? What's the difference between our God? Very next word, declaring. The one true living God declares. He speaks. He declares from the end, from the beginning. You know what that means? That means he stands before the beginning, and he declares to the end what the end's going to be, and he declares what the beginning, what the beginning is going to be, and he declares everything in between that that is what is going to happen. 
And He has complete authority to do so. He has complete authority to say, end here, begin here, all of eternity is this. I am God, this is how it goes. That's our God. He declares in the end of the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not done yet, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. He does not have to ask permission. He does not have to get, gain something from someone. He is God. What sets apart the deity of our God is that He is the God that speaks. This is our God that speaks. And we must be a people who listen. If our God is a God that speaks, we must be a people that listens. We must be a people who acts upon what our God says. And we must be quick to hear and slow to speak. We must prove ourselves that, to not be only merely hearly, hearers of the Word, but doers also. We need to give strictest attention to what God says. So we see that God is a speaking God. He is the God that speaks, but He is a God that saves. Verse 2 says, I am the Lord thy God. This verse begins with this declaration. This is the I am the Lord. There's a different name than what we saw here in verse 1, which follows, which is God. That was Elohim. In our King James Version, it says Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital. That's His name, and that just signifies Jehovah which comes from the root word, like we read, I am who I am. This name for our God is the supreme name for God. And it means that He is self-existent, He is self-sufficient, and there's nothing that our God lacks. He's not dependent on anyone or anything, and all of His needs are met in within Himself. I am the Lord thy God, which had brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. That's Isaiah 43, verse 3. Isaiah 45, verse 21 says, There is none, no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. God is a saving God. And if there's, he, was not, he is not just a speaking God. He does not just speak something and not live up to it. No, He speaks on it and takes action. He takes action into what He has said. And He takes action to save us. God is a saving God. And the exodus by which He delivered these people, there is a far greater exodus which He has delivered us. You see, when we look ahead and we look toward the glory of Christ... It pictures an exodus which you and I are held captive. And me and you are in chains. And we are under a sin and the dominance of the devil. But the Lord Jesus Christ and His sinless life and His substitutionary death came to the world to rescue and break our bondage from our sins and from the wrath of God. That's so that God is this God who speaks. God is a God who saves. But we see that God is a God that sanctifies. This is, a verse, this is verse 3 through 17. I'm going to barely stick my my foot in the door on this one. Because God is a God who brought His people out of captivity, but He is also a God that will bring them into maturity. In other words, God who saves will sanctify. Verse 3, like I said, this, the reason He's given this law all the way up to verse 17 is to sanctify His people. He brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage of their sin, out of their slavery, which is pointing forward to us. And He's brought them out of this captivity and He's pushed them on their way to a holy land. Does that sound like something? Does that sound like another story? This is our story. He's brought us out of bondage. 
He's pushed us into the life of holiness and to the, the glory of heaven. This is the promised land, Canaan. He's brought us to, He's bringing us there. And when we see that God is a God who saves, who sanctifies, and He will glorify one day. Now there's people that say, you know, why are you in the law tonight? Why, why, why would you go to the law? We live underneath grace. There's no reason for the law no more. Uh, if that's your case, then Romans chapter 7, verse 12 says, Wherefore the law is holy. This is Paul speaking. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. He says the same thing in 1 Timothy 1.8. He says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. We see that it's not God that corrupts His law, but man that corrupts the law. And so God is, his, his, his law is so perfect and holy that He has written it on your own heart. He has written it inside of your conscience that you know His law, that you know when you break His law and you sin against a holy God. You know that law and you know when you've sinned. We see that God is not only God that saves, He's not only God that sanctifies, and He's not the God that speaks, but He is God. And my last point, I'll close with this. So it's because we know, and I've got it written down, because we know who God is, we need to do two things. Number one is fear Him. The, Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalms 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is a good, everlasting, have all that, that, that do His commandments, His praise endureth forever. Church, I want to tell you that the, the, the biggest attack on the Church of America and the church throughout the rest of the world is the lack of fear of God. There is no fear of God. We have failed when we think about who God is. If we knew who God is, we would fear Him with everything. But you've got people in churches that are doing disgusting things. Absolutely, just stupid, stupid things. In the glory of our God and our Savior, why would you bring stupid things to the glory, to the altar of our God and say, this is what you like, God. This is what you want. No. We need to fear our God. We have forgotten this. We have forgotten the fear of the Lord. Psalms 33 verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Psalms 34 verse 9 says, O fear the Lord, ye His saints. For there is no one that want them that fear Him. He says, there's no place for you in that world if you fear Him. 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He has done for you. Deuteronomy 31 verse 12 says, Gather thy people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear, that they may learn, and they may fear who? The The Lord, your God, to observe to do all the words of His what? His law. Why Why do we need to fear the Lord? The Lord? For His law's sake. For the the, the absolute honor and glory of our God is to fear Him and to keep His law. That is saying, God, I worship You. I keep Your law. God, I I love You. I keep Your law. God, I I know I cannot keep this law because I'm a fallen, sinful creature, but this is what drives my day to day, the fear of the Lord. 
the fear of God Almighty on His law. When we fear God, we know who God is. It leads us to do the second thing, is follow Him. Follow Him. Jeremiah 9 verse 23 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him glorieth glory in this. Basically saying, if you're going to brag, brag on this. Brag on this. That he that understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. To follow Him is to glory in Him. To follow Him is to fear Him. To follow Him is to only exercise that our God is the one with loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. Isaiah 43 verse 10 says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall, shall there be after me. No God before him, no God after him. He is God. Verse 11, I even, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Verse 12 says, I've declared and have saved and have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Church, when we know who God is, and we fear Him and we follow Him, we know exactly His attributes and His, His glory, and He's a God who speaks and saves and sanctifies, and we know who this God is. In Isaiah 43, verse 15, it says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creative, Creator of Israel, and your King. He will be our King. He will be the one that is on, the only one worthy to be our King. And so, when we think of God, is that clock going up or down? Oh, okay. Um, I hope you can talk as fast as me. <laughs> Lord have mercy. When we know who God is, and we know the attributes of our God. And we know that our God is sovereign. Our God is holy. We know he, our God is truthful. We know that there's one God. We know that He's a jealous God. He's a spiritual God. He is wrathful. He is merciful. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is the wisest of gods. He is the independent, the all-knowing God. When we know He's that God, it affects how we worship it affects how we, we, come and we come to church, how we serve church. How we, how we, there's people that don't even wake up on Sunday morning and think to go to church. They say, am I going to go to church? That's stupid. We are a people that should know to worship our God. He said in his law to keep a Sabbath day, and we don't even have to do it in whatever day you want to call it, to know that he is our God and we worship him alone on a day of the week. How hard is that? How hard is that? How hard is that to keep one thing in his law? But there's people that don't even have the highest view of God. I think it was A.W. Tozer that said, the, what you believe about God will affect everything in your life. A high view of God permits high worship, high serving, high church service, everything. High word, how, worship is high. But a, lo, a low view of God puts low worship, low service, low Sunday. Everything about your life is conducted on the lowest view of God. 
And so when you see that a high and a mag- majestic, and like Psalms 8, it says, how majestic, Lord, our Lord, how are you? When you have a high view of God, that is our God. It affects everything. It affects how we serve, how we tithe, how we, how we do missions, how we evangelize. If, we have a, if you have a low view of God and you try to go share that God with somebody else, they're going to think you're insane because you don't worship the God you talk about. They're going to think that you're crazy. They're going to think, why would I do anything that this man claims that I should get saved from if he doesn't live those things? A high view of God permits you to worship those things and you to live closer to the Lord and you to think more about the gospel and the, and the Lord Jesus Christ. How you speak in the morning, like preacher was talking and preaching about this a couple weeks ago. How you wake up, everything permits your life on a high or a low view of God. That's one thing, to have a high view and a low view of God or to not have God at all. To not have a God at all. To not have a God that you worship. To not have a God that you serve. To not have a God that is all these things that we talked about. That is a fake idol that we read. And that's a sin. That's, fa- that's a fraud. You have no salvation in any other name. We see that God. We see the true God. And we see we follow the true God. Not that. The true God. Not that. We serve. We love. We worship. We fear. We follow the true God. Not that. We know that He, is, he, is, he saved us. He'll sanctify us and He'll glorify us. He's adopted us into his family. He's done all these things for his glory and his glory alone. We know that about God. It changes our life. We know who God is and we know who God is. There's no church service that you'll leave here empty. There's no church service that you'll come in here thinking, what, why am I not getting anything from God? Because you've not even searched for, you've watched things that are unholy. You've thought of nothing else besides yourself all week long. But you come on Sunday morning and you expect to get something out of here. It's you that's that's at fault, my friend. It's you. We as a church, we should be at this altar praying for God to give us more fear of Him and to give us more more of His attributes. You know, the the title of the message is to know who God is. You want to know who God is? It's right here. Do it. Go home. Search Him. Find Him. Follow Him. Fear Him. It's here. All that message was one thing alone. This. That's it. That's it. I, get, I can't stand these preachers that get up and get just a glorified TED Talk on what you, they think God is, but they never once point to this. They never once state who God is. They never once fear God who He is. They never once show God as who He is. And Lord, and, and as, as the Lord has revealed Himself, and we, we find that in His Scripture alone, then we will see who He is and be able to do those things that I just said to you. So my question to you today is, do you know who God is? Have you made a God in your own image? Have you made a God of your own meekness and your, your thought and your, your infinite, when he, or finite man of thinking, is that your God? Or is your God the God of the Bible who states and declares who He is? He declares Himself to be worthy because He is alone worthy of who He is. Let us pray. Dear God, Lord God, we need to fear You and to fear You alone and to know You for who You are. 
God, there's so much that there's nothing I could ever say to show who you truly are. But Lord, in your word, as you stated, you've gave us enough. You've gave us who you truly are. And you've gave us enough of who you, th- who you are. Lord, there's people that don't even know you. They don't even know this God we're speaking about. And Lord God, I pray that you save them tonight. Lord God, I pray that they will know who you are. Not just to know about you, but to know you alone. And Lord God, I pray that you save their souls, that you've, like you've saved the ones in this room. And that we know who you are. And we fear you above everything else. And we live for you and we follow you and we do everything in your name alone. And God, I ask all these things in your Son's holy and righteous and perfect name. Jesus' name alone. Amen. Give Brother Weston a hand, will you? Did a great, great, great job. You know, I told Weston this afternoon, I said, just so you know, uh, you're going first tonight. Um, I'm starting to wish I went first because I don't know how I'm going to follow that. Um, Brother, that was good. That was really good. Um, Won't you just take that copy and set it on the pew there and I'll pick it up uh, after I'm done. I'm going to preach that. Amen. That was good. I'm not known for talking fast. Uh, I'm known for quite the opposite, but I'm going to do the best with what I got. Uh, Thank you all so much for coming out here tonight um, and braving this storm. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, And I'm grateful uh, to be asked to preach again. It means the world to me. Um, This is my home. This is my favorite place to get to preach. And so I'm very excited to be here tonight. Uh, Remain seated and turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, very quickly um, to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Um, I had sent Dustin uh, an an outline on Monday. And uh, yesterday God told me that that was not what I needed to preach. Amen. And so he changed my heart and he led me to something um, that uh, if there is one person in here tonight that needs to hear this message, it is me. It is absolutely me. So if y'all, if none of this applies to y'all, y'all just go ahead and check out. I'm just preaching to myself um, because this is a very important message, um, but it's a very unpopular subject. So we're going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number five. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. Amen that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. 
Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you so much. Lord, I thank you for another opportunity to deliver your word. Lord, I ask you right now, Lord, that you would give me strength, Lord, that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, of of everybody that could be behind this pulpit tonight, I'm the least deserving. Lord, I just ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. If you ever have, do it now. Lord, if you've ever given me strength, Lord, give me strength now. Lord, I ask that you would help us, Lord, tonight. Help us to uh, really uh, absorb this message, Lord, and to apply it. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight, we're going to be talking about an attribute of God that is not talked about a whole lot. Um, How God is a God who chastens people, who corrects people. Now, chasten is one of my favorite words. It's a word that is rarely used today. It's a real King James type word. And it basically means, the, the dictionary definition of chasten means to correct by punishment, to punish, to inflict pain for the purpose of reclaiming an offender as to chasten a son with a rod. Um, Now, growing up, I was chastened on a daily basis. Amen. Uh, My parents were parents, uh, probably one of the last generation of parents that still whooped their kids. And so me and my friends growing up were kind of the last of the kids who, you know, knew what it was like to still have to go outside and pick a switch, right? We, I, I did that once, but I did it, all right? Um, and so I was beat all the time when I was a kid. My mom's on the front row. If I say anything that is not true, she will stop me, all right? But uh, so I got a lot of whoopings when I was a kid, and guess what? I deserved them. And looking back, I didn't get as many as I probably needed, right? And I, I, I have a strong feeling that everybody in this room could say the same. We were all disciplined as kids. Why? Because we were kids and we needed to be dealt with, right? We don't know everything. We have to be taught. And sometimes there's no better way for a kid to learn than getting his butt tore up, right? And so tonight I want to talk about how God chastens us as his children, all right? So I just want to let everybody know tonight uh, what my goal in this message is. If we will all notice the three keys in this text, we can all better understand true biblical chastening all right uh key number one we see the person of chastening the person of chastening verse number six the bible says for whom the lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth if ye endure chastening god dealeth with you as with sons for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not all right so god only chastens those who are his children, right? The main reason that my mama and daddy corrected me as a kid was because I was their responsibility, right? What well, nobody else going to do it. It's nobody else's job to do it. It's their job to raise me as a child, right? Uh, their, their jobs included making sure I had clothes, food, water, and making sure that if I did something wrong, I was dealt with, right? That, because I'm their kid. A lot of times we tend to ask, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do all these bad people that live in sin, God's not dealing with them? Because they're not God's children. That's right. 
That's it. They're not God's children. God don't have to fool with them because they're lost. He'll convict them and He'll do His best to draw them to Him, but He's not going to step in and correct somebody that's a, children of, that's a child of darkness. Amen? God is going to deal with us and us only when it comes to chastening. So I want to right now, just before we go any further, make sure we understand the difference between conviction that a sinner experiences and chastening, biblical chastening. Chastening is correction or punishment after we've done something wrong. All right? So we see the person of chastening. I want to let you know right now, if you have been chastened, if you have been punished by the Lord, if, you've, if God's had to correct you, you are loved. Okay? That's the first thing that this tells us. You are loved and you are His child. You are His child. Uh, if anything, if, if anybody in here struggles uh, with doubt, uh, doubt, doubting their salvation, uh, if you're not sure where you're going to go, well, if God has had to take you out behind the woodshed a couple times, let me assure you, you are 100% saved and on your way to heaven. Amen? God's not going to chasten nobody else. Okay? So we, are, uh, the, we see the, the person of chastening. The person of chastening. We're His children. God's not going to uh, chasten somebody that's not His child. Uh, now, I do want to point out, God has placed people in your life that He has delegated to chasten you. Now, off the top of my head, Pastor Malcolm. He is our pastor. He's our leader. If Pastor Malcolm says, you did this wrong and is trying to help correct you. Now, obviously, if Preacher Malcolm comes knocking at your door and he's got a switch in his hand, that's first, okay? I'm not saying he's going to do that. But he is going to guide you and to direct you. And most of Pastor Malcolm's chastening is done right here. All right? So that is someone that God has delegated to chasten you. My mom has deputized dozens of women over the years to whoop me if necessary. Matter of fact, that was always the last thing she said whenever she dropped me off somewhere. I told them to beat you if they have to. That was always the last. It wasn't no, I love you. We did that in the car. What she was dropping me off outside. She would say, I told them to beat you. Don't even call me. Just beat him. And I'm okay, okay. You know, and so everybody had the authority. And when I'd be in church and mom wouldn't go because she was sick, she'd say, remember, I got eyes everywhere. And you know what? She did. She did. I tested that a couple of times and she had eyes. So we see the person of chastening. I want to uh, make sure that we all understand when God deals with us, he's dealing with us because of how much he loves us. Uh, I'm, I'm not a parent. Uh, I'm married, but I'm not a parent. One thing I will never do. Uh, and one thing I have observed from others is you never tell somebody how to parent their kid. So don't think that this young buck, 21-year-old, is going to be on stage telling you how to parent your kid. But one thing that I can say with absolute biblical confidence is that if you are not disciplining your children, you are not a biblical parent. In, in end of discussion, I don't want to hear it. I got people that are parents that will back me up, all right? But if you are not disciplining your child, you are not a biblical parent. My wife is a uh, pre-K teacher, and my mother-in-law is a teacher as well. And so 
I'm like the biggest teacher's advocate that didn't even go to public school. It's weird. But the stories that I hear of some of these kids that get sent to school, I would be arrested if I was on staff at any one of these county schools. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. It's insane. We, so when God disciplines us, He is actually showing one of the most pure forms of love. We have, we have done something and He needs to show us that that is wrong. Now, God's not saying, don't put your hand in the light socket. God's saying, don't go down this road because I know what's at the end. Why, why, did God, why did God do this to me? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Because you're just a kid. You're just a kid. You don't know nothing. Something my grandpa told me every day. You ain't nothing. You ain't nothing. We don't know. We don't know the future. We're not omniscient. We, we're not all-powerful. We're not all-knowing. We don't have those attributes of God that, that Weston listed. We don't know. And so he's going to chasten us. But I can assure you it's because we're loved and we're his children. Amen? Very quickly. I'm running out of time. Secondly, we see the process of chastening. The process of chastening. Look with me in verse number 12. Verse number 12. Or excuse me, 11. 11. Verse number 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Now what I love is how God's not trying to surprise you, right? He's not saying He didn't warn you before He dealt with you. It's not going to be fun. God has never punished me and I've been like, well, that wasn't so bad. (laughs) That's never happened. I I know I'm being dealt with. The purpose of a spanking is to inflict enough pain to where maybe you'll think twice about doing whatever you just did again. Right? I remember one time I thought that I had cracked the code and I put socks down my shorts or down my jeans right before I got a spanking as a kid. And uh, because I figured, you know, put the socks there, it's going to absorb the spanking. I'll be fine. I'll just fake cry. So I started, I started to go into the room. Dad was waiting for me. And I thought that I had disguised it as good as I popped there. There was socks coming out of the back of my pants. It's going to hurt. We can't do anything about it. A spanking is a spanking, no matter how you want to cut. It's going to hurt, but it has to, right? It has to. God is not some omnipotent God who just loves putting people through torture. It's got to hurt. It is a grievous process. But it says, now no chastening, uh, now no chastening for the present. Why does it say for the present? Because when you're in it, it's awful. When I'm getting a spanking as a kid, I'm not thinking, you know what? My parents are really showing how much they love me right now. (laughs) That thought never crossed my mind, I guarantee you. I'm thinking, ah, right? I'm in pain. But it says, look in the latter part of verse 11. Nevertheless, afterward, 
It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Which brings us into the product of chastening. The product of chastening. Why does God do it? Because it brings, it brings righteousness. And it makes us more mature. There is nothing worse than growing up, becoming an adult, getting married, moving out. And then realizing your parents were right. It's the worst, man. I hate it so much. I'll, me and my wife will be talking about things. And it seems like every day almost. I'll just, God will bring back a memory that I've forgotten I had. Where I was rolling my eyes at my parents because the decisions they were making. How we couldn't go out to eat all the time. Blah, 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 blah. Now I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) you know, I get it. And that's what chastening does. When it's all said and done, when we've grown and matured from the experience, we come out a little bit smarter. A little bit smarter. My mom really took the phrase to heart, beat some sense into them, right? (laughs) But that's the product of chastening. There There is a purpose behind it. And, uh, you know, I was thinking back on my life today and on the times that the Lord has had to chasten me. And I tried to fight it. I I thrashed and I kicked and I, I hated it. But knowing now the type of destruction, the type of heartache that just giving in to sin for one moment can bring... Knowing that now, I'll take all the chastening you got, God. See, we don't know as babies that we're not supposed to lick our finger and stick it in the socket, right? So, mama or daddy will pop you on the head and say no. But as a baby, sockets are like the coolest thing ever. You got you to gotta put your finger in there. And so as a baby, you're thinking, why can't I do this? And even as a kid and a teen growing up, we're thinking, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? And looking back now, we all have 20-20 vision, hindsight, and think, well, obviously because of X, Y, and Z. Can I tell you, there's never more humbling moment in your spiritual walk than when you can look back at when God has dealt with you and say, oh, I wish he did it sooner. I wish, he, I wish he found me a long time ago. And so let me tell you something. Don't ever fight God's chastening. Don't ever resist it. Because you, you did something, right? We did something. So we need to understand the person of chastening... We need to understand the process of chastening, but we need to really understand and appreciate the product of chastening. Amen.